Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Code Untapped Tech Talk. I'm Ez. And I'm Jay. And we're going to be discussing everything coding, tech, and startup related. So, hello, everybody, and welcome to our Code Untapped Tech Talk. Hey, so you've got myself, Ez, and we have Jay. How are you doing, Jason? I'm good. I'm good, Ez. I'm good. So, what are we going to get into this week, then, Ez? Well, we're getting to a topic that a lot of technologists, CTOs and CEOs get really, you know, a bit of a twist about should they do it, should they not, what the advantages and disadvantages, and that is should you offshore your tech team, right? Um, now, I've worked with offshore companies. I've had to offshore elements of my team as well. Jay, I know you've worked with offshore mm-hmm. developers too um, mm-hmm. in multiple, multiple incarnations and iterations. So... Mm. I don't think this should be a question. For me, it's not a question of is it good or bad to offshore your tech team. Personally, I think it it depends on the circumstance of you, your team, your product, situation, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. What, what do you think? Definitely. And um, understanding where they fit into the role of the product, uh, de- the product development, yeah? Because, mm-hmm. you know... Um, a lot of people just think, oh, I'm going to just get an off. I'm just going to get an offshore team and they're going to knock it out for me, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And because it's cheap, oh, you know, I can get it done really, really cheap. And actually, what are they going to get done really cheap? What are they going to do for you? Are they going to, are they going to, are they, are they, are they going to design the entire app for you, every single user journey for you? Uh, and then build the code and then deploy the code and then manage that code for you. What is it that they're going to do for you? So I think the first, and then, so I think way before you even think about, because I've had people come to me and said, you know what, Jay, I want to build this product. And, you know, these guys, these guys in India, they can knock it out for me for like five grand. I go, what (laughs) are they going to knock out for you for five grand? What is it that they can do for five grand? Yeah. And then then you drill drill down a little bit further and, and sometimes it's like, well, what are you actually going to build? Yeah. What does your first screen even look like? Do do, do you know? And so um, it's just like anything. It's just like uh, software. It's a product. It's a service. It, it has to do something. Yeah, it has to add some value. So you, before you can even embark on talking about what contractors you're going to hire, whether they be uh, onshore or offshore or nearshore or whatever, you need to have a firm grasp of what you're going to build. Yeah. Yeah. And how that thing is going to look and how it's going to work. Yeah. You need 100%. to, it's all, it's almost like, and it's, it's interesting because, you know, there's this, everybody wants to go, yeah, but it's agile, Jay, it's agile. Yeah. But agile has to start somewhere. Yeah. You have to start with, <laughs> yeah. you have to start with something that you're going to build. Yeah. And what is that minimum viable product? You have to define that minimum viable product first. Yeah. Before you can start any development process. And that falls more in line with the traditional engineering discipline of, right, actually, I'm going to build a house, for instance, yeah? So how big is the house, yeah? Mm. What is the requirement of the house? How many people is it hold? How many toilets am I going to have? Yeah, because that defines what uh, materials we need, yeah? How many people it will take to build. Then you can start to put a budget around it. And you have to do the same type of thing in software as well. So you say, right, actually, what am I trying to build? 
Is it a finance app? Yeah. Right. Is it a health app? Is it a this app? Is it a that app? So what kind of services will that platform use? Will it use a payment? If it's a financial app, will it use a payment service? Mm-hmm. Which type of payment service will it use? You yeah. know, we, you know, and you think about all of these elements. And then once you have a clear idea of all of the elements or the components or the features that you want to build, then you can start reaching. And before you even do that as well, you've got to have an idea. And that idea has to be, a tan- that idea or has to be tested. You have to actually test it with the person who's going to use that product or service. So you have to go to them, do you want this service? Yeah. And if I want that service, how does it, how do I want to consume that service as well? So there's way before you even talk about teams and stuff like that, there's a lot of initial work that you need to yeah. do to work out what you're going to build, why you're going to build it. And what you need for that to, to provide that service end to end, and mm-hmm. that has to be defined, well defined, yeah. And um, and then and then design it has to be designed as well. And then you can go and work out, you know, where your team's going to be and and start costing that side of things. So, so I know I've rambled a bit there. No, 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 rambled, no mate, that, that's the sort that's, that's gold. Everything you just said there, right? Because I think a lot of people when they look at the offshore and they do exactly what you said, they say, ah, oh, you know, it'll be cheaper. We'll get X, Y, Z. And actually often it, re- it rarely is cheaper. Yeah. A, a lot of, um, especially Eastern European developers are pretty much the same price or more than what you would pay because for. Because they're good. Because they're really they're good. good. They're really good. Absolutely. <laughs> Secondly, once you factor in, you know, oh, well, we haven't done the design, so we need a designer. All right, so you know you need a designer. We haven't got anyone on the team who can manage the pro- Okay, so now you need a project manager. But we're doing Scrum. Oh, so now you need now you, now you need a Scrum master. We don't have an architect because we don't have anyone who understands, well, now you need that on the team as well. Um, and now it's going to take, you know, we said three months. It's actually six months work. And what you've got doesn't actually do what you need it to do. So we, and we got it wrong. So we've got to do it all over again, right? So once you get into there, you don't even have the right product. You don't have what you wanted. It's cost you a fortune. And even worse, it's cost you time, right? And that's the big thing. Now, this isn't the trajectory for every offshore project. This isn't me or you, Jay, saying never offshore. This is what can happen if you make these basic assumptions from day one, which is I can just get an offshore team to build my system for me, right? I don't need to worry about technology because I've got an offshore team. You still need, and I think this is the thing that most people forget, even if you offshore, you still need someone on your team who knows technology, who can yeah. manage that project mm. and do the, all the work needed to be ready to work with that team. Because you've got to behave as if they're an internal team, right? For sure. Yeah. You'd still have your technologist, your CTO, your CIO. It's just the bulk of the work is going to be done somewhere else. It's yeah. not going to be done within you. And you can potentially scale that up and scale that down in terms of resource, but you still need someone who understands. And what happens when you need to bring that IP in-house, right? You get an investor and they say to you, okay, so who owns the system? Who owns the software? Well, we do. We own all the IP. You go, great. Where's all the know-how? Where's all the knowledge? Who knows how to build it? Well, that's all in the offshore team. So what happens if, so are, are these people contracted to you? 
Well, yeah, so what happens if they quit? You're now completely beholden on that organization to train the right people up to keep that knowledge within your business sphere, as it were. Mm. It's not within yeah. the business. So exactly. I think it's really important that people recognize that even if you're offshore, you still need some senior technology leadership within your mm. team. For sure. Yeah, it doesn't go away. It, it doesn't, an offshore team, as you're 100% right, an offshore team doesn't negate yeah, the tech. The technology know-how close to the business. You still need that technology know-how close to the business. And that knowledge transfer, as we as, as you know, we've we've been associated with uh, startups that have been in that position where they've right. you know they've offshored their work and um <laughs> they can't they can't exit out of those offshore agreements. That's the other thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. And 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 transitioning away from say offshore to nearshore or offshore to onshore mm. yeah it takes considerable time knowledge transfer yeah. yeah there is the knowledge transfer and there there is also uh contractual obligations as well yeah there's all sorts of complexities around doing it so it works for some it doesn't mm. work for others but it's yeah. something that you should consider definitely yeah i, I think where it can be really effective Two, two core two core areas. One, you're an established business. Mm. You need some scale-up resource. You've got mm. um, a part of the business that you just don't have the skill set in and you need it pretty quickly, right? Mm. Um, and uh, you can then go to an offshore team. They work with your technology group and they go, right, we'll tell you what, we can bring this particular skill set on board. We can do the work, sign you over the IP. And whilst we're doing this, it gives you the time to recruit the right people to take this off us mm. once we're done. Or even focus on something else completely or, different. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. in that kind of squad-based, you know, almost like A-team squad-based mm. approach, that works quite well. And Another, I think I want to add, add something to that, Ed, as I think if the requirement also is well-defined, yeah? So you yes. know exactly 100%. what you want to build, yeah? And they, so the remit, there is no, you know, there is no scope creep. It's exactly, you, this is what we want you to build and this is how it should look. And it's well understood, then I think you're 100% it works really well. And actually that scope creep problem is an issue because this is where there can become real friction between the business and the tech team. When you've got an offshore team, your business users or your salespeople, whatever, coming back and saying, look, we need X, Y, Z feature. And they can't speak directly to the developers about it, right? And mm-hmm. that's not always a good thing that they can, but there needs mm-hmm. to be that belief that the tech team are listening, right? And then mm-hmm. we can bring in these new features. We can talk about it. We can get it looked at. But when the team's mm-hmm. way over somewhere else, you get this real sense of friction in the organization that starts to build. Can do. That belief yeah. that the tech team aren't available, they don't listen, we don't know them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. How even if that's completely not true, right? That mm. still brings up a lot of problems. Um, but the other example where I think offshore can be really positive is actually in early stage startups where you might not have a technical technical co-founder, you just need to get a prototype built, right? Yes, some kind of simple prototype, just so that you've got an idea or something that you can show to people, look, this is what I was talking about, right? Mm. Here's the basics of it. This is where people make a mistake. They go, instead of getting a prototype built, they get a full version one of the app from their offshore team. And now you've got all sorts of other issues that you've got to worry about. Yeah, you have. But if you just get that prototype put together, Mm. right, and then you can start to shop that around, show that around, maybe 
it's even got a couple of really, really basic features in it. But then you use that to recruit and build your actual technology team, and then you replace the offshore team. Mm. And like you said, is that that prototype can get you traction, that prototype can get you funding to build to build the proper product, yeah, which then actually you will need to have that technical oversight near to the business to really make sure that you get the best out of an offshore team if you wanted to use an offshore team to, to build it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, as, a, as I said, I still believe you want that technologists with technologists at a minimum, even if it's a project manager, but at a minimum, someone on your team who manages that process. And as you know, mm-hmm. you know we're code untapped. We like to see an actual core technologist in the business. It's just how we like to do things. Yeah, it's for us. We believe it's fundamental. Yeah, because if it's a if it's a technology business, you need to have somebody who really understands what can be done in that space that you're in with the tech that's being used. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. So, you know, it, it's interesting. You know, we've touched on a couple of things. You know, some some of the challenges. Some of the you know, is it for everyone? Does it really save you money? But you know, the benefits. There are benefits. Now, we talked about some of the models that can work. And I do think there are some benefits. I mean, when we built Neighbor, we used uh, an offshore team called SparkyBit. And they, they were amazing. They really were. Um, and I'm, I'm still good friends with their founder today. And there were challenges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there, there, there were challenges, um, mm. especially with actually trying to integrate the teams and bringing knowledge on. Because we didn't abandon them. We kept them the whole time and we try to have like a dual team structure which no honesty doesn't really work right I, I don't think it works particularly well um but you know having someone with that level skill set and knowledge who was available who was able to build a team scale it up scale it down alongside us whilst i was i was the cto of the organization so i had that technology mm-hmm. knowledge and able to work alongside these guys and they did they built well, they built off of my prototype to actually get us to a version one, um, as it mm. were. It was really, really helpful. Um, mm. And, you know, so I, I absolutely, I'm not sat here saying don't ever offshore. I, I just want to be really clear about that. I absolutely mm. think there are, there are benefits to doing it. I think there's a time and a place and there are mm. methodologies that work. But one thing I will say is if you're setting out to offshore because you think it's going to be cheaper, you're going to be disappointed. Right? Yeah, because if it is reason. cheaper, you probably got what you paid for. And yeah. if you got what you paid for, it probably wasn't cheaper. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, really, it's a strategic decision. Do you want to go offshore? Do you want to go onshore? And I think ultimately the number one reason to go offshore is access to talent and speed to yeah. spin up the team. That's that's yeah. your reason for doing it. Mm. And I think that's, and especially if we're looking at, um, you look at India, yeah, and people don't understand that, you know, India's a country with, you know, 1.2 billion people, yeah. Mm. So they have a, just a crazy amount of technologists. Yeah. Mm. And so they just have a bigger pool of technologists. It's just, a, it's just a numbers game. They have a bigger pool of technologists that they can use that. So, you know, you can... You know, that's and that's what um, that is just a massive benefit if you're trying to because sometimes you just can't source the people with the right skills to yeah. build you the product. 
and and it and it might not even be it might not even be a money situation you just can't source them because those people are you know working on other projects so this is where you know offshoring really can benefit yeah and you know india eastern european and i i i I've been, I've been, and Africa seems to be like a new market. I, I, I think Africa is going to be, seems be to the be, yeah, that's, that's yeah, exactly. That's really becoming a thing now. And I'm starting to get in my inbox, I'm starting to get some, um, you know, some, you know, would you, are you willing to take on, you know, teams working? Have you thought about taking on, you know, offshoring teams in Africa? Obviously, China was coming, obviously, there's offshoring going on in China. That came off the back of the fact that. Indian offshoring was getting really expensive yeah. and people were looking at other places. And then, um, but now, you know, Africa's come, really has come on a long way. And as, and especially if you look at places like Nigeria, where they're extremely mm-hmm. hot and extremely experienced in the fintech space. Yeah. yeah. And, well, and mobile fintech space. They're yeah. extremely... And, and crypto yeah. and blockchain. And as well. crypto as well. And you're getting a lot, so all of, getting those a lot of machine learning. Really hot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so in west africa in particular they're really hot in fintech yeah and Mm -hmm. so if you need that kind of experience that's a definitely an offshoring market to be looking at as well yeah well i also think that what's happening there is you've got facebook you've got google you've got all these companies building out large training facilities you've got andela providing coaching skill sets or code skill sets to to um, people out in africa and then you've got this ever-increasing wave of venture capital cash coming into tech companies in Africa. You know, we've posted about a whole bunch of them. Mm. So what mm. it's doing, it's, start, it's really kick-starting that ecosystem. And I think mm. for countries like ours, you know, as one of the big things that's come out of the pandemic has been remote working, right? It's mm. always been possible, but people didn't really believe it was. And increasingly, mm. everyone's seeing that, well, it is possible. Or if remote working is possible, does it really matter where people are? Well, no. it can do because there's one thing that is always a problem, even with remote time zones, right? Yes. You still want yeah. people to work in the same time zone as you because there's mm. a time when you need to do work and you need to collaborate with people. Sometimes you can have more of a follow the sun model and that works really well, especially with support or um, continuous development that you might require. But often you want to be in the same time zone. And guess what? There's a whole bunch of countries in Africa that are on the no, same time zone as the UK. Yeah. Not yeah. Some people might not even realise that, but Nigeria yeah. is on the same time zone as England. And Ghana as well. I think. And Ghana as well. They're all English-speaking, super, um, very well-educated, and we're getting ever more technologists coming out of these countries. So I absolutely believe that you're going to see a new wave of, and I've been, I believed it for some time, but you're going to see a new wave of offshore companies coming out of these countries. Mm. And actually, from a from a, a distance perspective as well, it's like what a five hour flight to something like Ghana, so yeah. to a place like Ghana or something like that. So actually, it's not as if you do have to go out and meet the team, which we've had to do that as in our, mm. in, in our jobs. I've had to do that in, in in some of my previous jobs where I've had to go out and and and, and yeah. you know spend some time with the offshore team if there's a big project and we need to take them through it and stuff like that and work it out, um, you know and even that, you know, doing the 13-hour flight to India, yeah, it's much easier to just, you know, five-hour flight to, you know, a, a place like, you know, Ghana or Nigeria, and you're in the same time zone. 100%. So you're not, 
spaced out when you land and stuff like that. So, you know, you'll have to adjust. So, yeah, definitely. So to summarise, I think we can summarise this fairly comfortably. You know, is offshoring a bad idea? No, right? It depends on, the, on what you need to do. If you do it, what do you need to think about? Well, make sure you've got a technologist on the team. Make sure you know what it is you actually want and make sure you're offshoring a project or um, a piece of work that is stage appropriate, right? Mm. So it might be prototyping. It might be a specific feature or tool set that you don't have the skill set or the capacity to build, yeah? And, you know, don't do this because you think it's going to save you money. Mm. Do it because you, it gives you access to talent. I think that's the key mm. thing. And finally, keep an eye out for, for the African countries as well because they're, they're up and coming in this space. I think, Jay, I don't know, do you think I missed anything or is that? You covered it always. You covered it all always. right. Fantastic. <laughs> so this has been a really interesting. We'd love to hear from people what they think about offshoring and you know, any of their experiences. Um, but in the meantime, I think that's it for us, right? So that's it from me. Any final words from you, Jay? Just carry on coding, guys, and we'll see you next time. Fantastic. Take it easy, everybody.